Merry Christmas. It's great to see all of you here. And if you're a guest and some of you I haven't seen in a while, hi, how you doing? And it's, um, I'm excited that you guys have been able to come in and join us uh, in some of our Christmas celebrations and festivities. And uh, how many of you young, how many little guys are ready for the gifts? Are you all ready to open up your presents? No? Ah, you're not going to get it anyway. This is going to happen up on that. If you're really ex- I'm excited. Some of you adults are excited about your gifts too, aren't you? I mean, it's that extravaganza, that wonderful opportunity to open up presents and react in so many different ways. I always think about the, the fact that the, the packages grow. How many of you have actually done your, uh, as they've been growing around your tree, how many of you have done the little uh, sneak around and looked at which ones are yours? Has anybody taken a tally up yet? You're like, I got 12, I got 13, I got two, I got the big one, I got the little one. And you always feel jealous right? When you always find the big one's not yours, you're like, oh, I, uh, my wife got that for the kids, you know, kind of feeling. So um, it's true for me. I, I've done that too already. And it's, it's just one of those things and presents and gifts surround the season. They're part of everything that we do and everything that goes on at the Christmas time period. And so it seems like gift giving is one of those big, big deals. And there's a lot of reactions to gifts, honestly. Some of us, we react, uh, if you're really excited about your gift, do you remember the Nintendo kid? Like that, uh, it was a video way back in the day. And the kid's like, it's Nintendo 64! And he's like screaming his head off over Nintendo 64. Um, none of you would react like that over a Nintendo 64, would you? Um, over a Switch? Maybe, right? But um, no, some of us get excited about gifts. But you know what, then there's these other people. You sit there and you, you respond like this. You open it up. I knew it. Yeah, I had this one guessed. Yeah, it's like, oh, thank you. I'm so predictable that you uh, you knew what I was going to get you. You're a dud for Christmas, just so you know. If that's you. Um, don't do that. Ooh, that that that, that joke was a dud. All right. So uh, the third reaction is, is is different, and then that's that one where you tear it open. And you're all excited, and you're showing your excitement inside. You're actually feeling like, oh my gosh, I hate this thing. What am I going to do? What am I going to say about this? Have you ever had that one? You know you have. You're all just like guarded today. You're like, we're at church. It's Christmas. What's it going to do? No, there's these, all these different reactions, all these different emotions that we can feel when it comes to Christmas and what we get. And the worst one, the worst emotion in my life, to be quite honest, is the one when that friend or that person comes over to your house and hands you that gift. And, you, and you're like, you're not on my list. I didn't get you anything in return. You know that feeling? It's a horrible feeling. I had a friend who told me, yeah, he had a buddy who bought him a knife. And he's like, oh, cool, it's a knife. And he you know, kept care of the knife and clean the knife and use the knife and cut the knife and did everything with the knife that, and put it away. It's, it's a kitchen knife. And the next year, a whole year goes by, and another one of his clients comes in and says, hey, I'm looking to buy a, a good kitchen knife or something for a, for a friend of mine. Hey, do, can you recommend one? And he's like, sure, I got this awesome one I use. It's great. He looks it up. He Googles it. $600 knife. Can you imagine that feeling? Welcome to Christmas. He's like, oh man, I got to get this. I got a $600 knife. What do I do back? His response was, oh well. And so he just kind of moved on with his, with, his, uh, with his life and enjoyed the knife. But the, that response of Christmas gifts and these things that we can receive and the way that we feel, the obligations maybe that come upon us, really are only a few of a huge amount of different ways people respond to gifts. People respond especially to Christmas gifts. And I wanted to talk about some particular Christmas gifts the, that, that, and some response. In fact, I found these kind of old journals 
and um, and wrote some stuff to put in them and to read to you guys. But the uh, <laughs> this isn't real. But I wanted you guys to get an idea because you may not ever verbalize these emotions about a gift, and you may not ever actually say this is how you feel about a gift. Um, but hopefully, you can track with the emotions in the gift and the feelings that we can have as I kind of read out these responses to a gift in in these journals. And it begins with a father, and it's on December 25th, it says, You know, I spent my time upstairs today sleeping in and taking a long shower. I love torturing the kids like that. Besides, my dad always did. But when I finally come downstairs this morning, I was surprised by what I found. Usually the big gifts are for the kids or for my wife, but the big one this year was for me. It's not normal for my in-laws to give me such a huge gift. I know they like me, but this seems, well suspicious. I opened it in front of everyone. My kids were excited. My wife was excited. But while the kids thought it was great, my wife and I were confused. I guess I was more confused than her, but I'm not sure why they got me this. I mean, it's nice and all, but they should know I don't need this thing. I already have one. Sure, it's not the same thing. This is the classic model. Um, out, it's out there, but, but I like mine. Mine is new. Mine is cooler. Mine is, well, mine, and it works just fine for me, so I don't get it. Why bother? Here's the thing. They know me. They know I have the one I have. I talk about it all the time. They know I could afford this. Heck, I passed up this model a bunch of times. Do they think something's wrong with the one I've got? Or maybe they think something's still wrong with my work and where we're in some financial situation. But I dealt with that, and I don't need charity. Are they still upset about passing on that trip with them? Oh, that must be it. This isn't a gift. It's a statement. They think I'm stupid for getting the one I've got, or or they think they're trying to show me up or something. They know I don't need it, and they know I don't want it. This is just insulting. You know, for my wife's sake, I'll act like I like it now, but I'll just put it in the garage until I find a place that will take it and give me cash for it. Interesting response. The second one comes from a, a college student who's returned home from, uh, for Christmas Eve. And this response is, is of, of a different type, but kind of in a similar vein. December 24th. OMG. I got back from my dorms just in time for the family Christmas party. I've always liked our Christmas Eve stuff, but this year is totally different. I don't know. The kitty stuff seems so commercial. Um, And my parents with the sentimental stuff can be so annoying. Nothing on Christmas itself. I'm just not into all this unnecessary capitalistic bling. Don't they all know there are people who are dying because they don't have clean water? Anyway, I was already annoyed, but then I opened my gift from them. And what can I say? I don't want it near me or my family. I've heard of this thing before, and they're seriously dangerous. What are they thinking giving me this? All it does is create problems. It should be illegal. My friend in biology told me how this very gift fractured her family. They got it a few years back and sensed him because of what it did to her dad. He's never been the same. He won't or can't work the same. It's just weird. In fact, she was hurt by it and she won't go near them until they get rid of it. Later, I did a little research on it. And yeah, some people love this, but a lot. And I mean, a lot of the internet is clear. This harms people. Many people use this very thing to try and destroy people's lives with it. Maybe that's hyperbole, but it still worries me. I asked my parents why they would give this to me, and they said that it's because they love me. That's why. I told them what is what is what I told them what it does, and if they loved me, 
They wouldn't give me something that is going to hurt me or others. They just think people just use it incorrectly and so it hurts others. I think that's wishful thinking. I gave it back to them. I think it's better safe than sorry. I just don't understand why they're so hurt by me returning it. The last one, it comes a little bit younger person, and uh, she's in a bit of a turmoil by it. And it says, Dear Diary, my boyfriend last week for Christmas gave me the most wonderful gift I've ever been given. Excuse the way I read. Sometimes it gets a little carried away, but hold on. It filled me with joy that he would give me such a gift, but now I'm not so sure. At first, it made me feel so special, like he really, really cared about me. You know, the kind of care that, he, that uh, he alone was thinking of me. Not that I think he doesn't care about me. I know he loves me, but now I'm wondering what to do with this gift. See, I really can't deal with it. I can't keep up with all the work I need to put into it. I'm sorry to say, just in the last week, it has put big league strain on a lot of my relationships. When my family keeps yelling at me, I'm getting obsessed with it. I'm not obsessed. It's just, I don't know, it requires a lot. But even my friends are texting about not seeing me and that I'm always giving time to his gift and, not, and time to his gift and I'm not even posting anymore. I've, I've tried to put it aside, but really, I just feel so guilty when I do because my boyfriend keeps asking about it. I really don't have time for it, but I feel like I have to keep it up. It's just too much. I'm tired of letting everyone down. Maybe I'm a little too obsessed. I wish I could give it back. Wait, I can give it back. He loves me. He'll understand it's just too much. If it's putting on a strain on my life, he doesn't want that. He wants me to be happy and not just care about this gift. So if I give it back so I can be happy, he'll totally accept it and support me because he loves me. Three interesting and different responses. And some of you are going like, okay, I have no idea where you're going with this. And it's because the, these responses, you may not resonate with any of them. You may be sitting there going, I, I've never thought these responses in my life when I get a Christmas gift. That's really weird. Greg, what are you getting at? And to be quite honest, what I'm getting at is, the, is not any particular gift from under your tree, but the gift of Christmas itself. See, some of you here today are here because you had to come. You come for family. You come because it's a tradition. You come because, hey, that's, the, that's, uh, that's just um, going to make your, your, your wife or your husband happy. And so you've shown up today for church, and you've come in here because it's the thing you got to do. And to be quite honest, I want to remind you that one, the reason the church exists, and I want to talk to you about, about Christmas, the reason it's celebrated the way that it is, is not because of all the lights and all the traditions and all this stuff, but because something happened that has been celebrated for centuries and centuries that has led people to think about a gift that was given. And it's a particular gift, and it's a gift that God gave. In John chapter 3, in the, in, a, in the letter of one of his apostles, one of the eyewitnesses of Jesus' life wrote that Jesus said this, God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so here in this text, we see this idea of a gift, a gift that was given at Christmas, the original Christmas, a gift that many of us have heard about, the gift of God's love for us, that his son Jesus would bear our sins and we would be forgiven. And here's the thing. I know plenty of people who've had one of these three reactions. That on one side we may say, oh, Jesus died for my sins. Cool, thanks. I don't really need that. In fact, I've already got my ideas. I've already got my, I've got my way of doing things. In fact, I had a friend sit across from me and tell me verbally that he had been through so much in his life and it had proven to him the way that he handled it that he was a good person. And honestly, he didn't need anything else. 
And he found that he was rejecting the gift because he didn't have a need for it. Or he's rejecting the gift because some of you, you really have seen it. You think it's harmful. You think it's hurting people. And you misunderstand that this gift, which seems to cause people to be bigoted and seems to cause people to be mean-spirited or cause people to be just, you know, frumpy and whatever it is, it's dangerous. It's bad. Or maybe you've landed in a, in a third category where you've, you've tried this before. And honestly, you're just kind of like, this is tough. This is difficult. I don't really want it. It doesn't make any sense to me anymore. And now you're here today because you have to be. And I want to address that. I want to address you because the gift is still being offered. The gift is still there, willingly available by God. In fact, what I want to do is, is kind of address maybe some of the struggles that you have, some of the things that you're, right, you're working through, because I get it. Yes, it may feel like you don't need it. It may feel like you're a good person. You've got it made, and you're insulted by the idea that you're a sinner and you need something from God. Or maybe you've seen how it's harmed LGBT people. You've seen how this gospel has harmed people who are different than Christians, and that just upsets you, and and you just can't handle that idea or respect or receive it. Or, Or again, maybe you've tried it, and instead of you find it wanting, you just found it difficult, and it's okay. You're going to move on. God will love you anyway. Well, I want to imagine that tomorrow morning you you go to the mail um, and somehow, because there's no post on Christmas Day, there still winds up to be some letters in your mailbox. Letters that actually have been written um, by the one who offered you the gift in the first place. Now, obviously I wrote these letters, so I'm not, I'm not here to pretend that I didn't write these. But what I did, and my, my son reminded me this, is that I've, I'm trying to reiterate something that is not just a Christmas tradition, but a Christian tradition of letter writing. Um, My son, Nate, reminded me in the morning that, hey, you know, Dad, the Bible's got lots of letters, like letters from Paul and letters from Peter. And I'm like, you're right. Because the Bible's not one book. Just remember that. The Bible is a a collection of books. In fact, many of the things we call books are just a collection of letters that were sent by by the followers of Jesus to churches and those who plant pastors to churches. And so we have this collection of letters and this letter writing is, is an important thing. So what I did is I've just kind of thought through that and said, what if God was to give you a letter based on the things you're wrestling with? For those of us who stand here and say, that gift, yeah, that's not for me. What might God say? What might God write to you? And this is, this is an idea based on the biblical truths and a lot of what the Bible has put together and says. And so I'll just lay it out to you. It starts off with, hey, my child, I hear you don't think that the gift I've given is something that you need. I understand you, you believe you have everything you need and, and live well. Yeah, I blessed you with much in this part of your life. But let me assure you, I gave you this gift because I love you and because you do need it. Now, please trust me. I don't wish to insult you with my gift, but speak the truth about your state. Like your doctors who tell you that you're in need of surgery or medicine, they see your need, though you do not. In the same way I see your need, though you do not. I see that you are weak, pulled about by your desires and doing the things a lot of times you don't even want to do and you later regret. Yeah, those things. Those things we'll need to deal with one day on that day of judgment. You're nearer to death every day and you're facing my justice. That's why I wanted to act. At the right time, I've sent you a gift. You're here in church today because I want you to have it. My son, Jesus Christ, died for you. I let it. I let him to show you my love. 
I'm trying to show you that love, that even though you're facing a guilty verdict on my judgment day, I'm trying to show you that I let my son, my beloved son, die for you. Take that judgment with him. He came to take your place. It's my, it, that's the gift. Rescue from the day of judgment. Now, I know that's not popular. My love is popular, but not my anger or my justice. I have sought not to let my anger divide us, but have made a way that the justice will be fulfilled and we can be reunited and right. My son died for you. He didn't need to, but you needed it. I hope you can see that today is what I'm saying. See, I made the world and everything in it. And the master of the world. And I don't live in man-made temples or churches. I don't need people to go to church for I don't need to be served or given anything. I don't, I need nothing. And I didn't need to send my son, but I did. This is because I gave to all humanity their life and everything that they have and need. And again, I don't, I do know what you need, but I didn't need to give you the gift, but I wanted to. For I've loved you so much I was willing to send my son to die. Please don't let this go because you think you don't need it. Signed, the father. And I really do think that would be the plea of of, of God today. To say, hey, don't let this go because you don't think you need it. I I really think that we we can confuse ourselves thinking we can clean up our lives. We can make this right. Let me tell you something. It is difficult to clean up a mess that you've made in your life. You may have corrected yourself. You may have done everything right, but the the problem still exists in your past. You may have even learned from it, but the problem still exists in your past. How will that be cleaned up? How will that be dealt with? We can't change who we are in our past. It is who we are. We need somebody to come in. See, God doesn't need anything. According to the book of Acts, Paul, who is this rebellious man, fought off God, didn't love God, was trying to kill the church, wound up becoming a follower of Jesus, started planting churches all over the world. He said this while he was standing before the the highest rank of philosophers in, in Athens. He said, listen, the God who made the world and everything in it, being the Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life, breath, and everything. He doesn't need anything. God is not in a position here where he needs us to follow him. He needs us to worship him. No, he doesn't need us at all. He doesn't need to forgive us. So it's interesting when I hear people go, well, I don't need it. I hear them taking God's argument on themselves. And the God who knows everything, the God who sees all of our hearts, knows all that we have done, all that we have said, all that we have thought, all that we have, we have messed up with. He's the one who looks at it and says, I don't need to help you. But remember what it said is out of his love that he did it. Love doesn't need to do something it wants to. And God wanted to love you, so he sent his son. He wanted you to hear that he was willing to take your evil, the sin, the garbage, the mess that we make, and take it away from you so that your doom of judgment on that judgment day wouldn't be yours. It would go on to Jesus Christ. And this is the basic idea. This is the the foundation that God was trying to get us to see. That it's that we think we need it, but it's really he didn't need to. It's grace. You see, it's a gift. Let me explain something. A lot of people think Christianity is all about these special elites that get to walk around and say, oh, I'm going to heaven. Ha, 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 ha. If you think that's what Christians are doing, just correct them, please. Nobody in heaven believes they deserve to be there. And everyone in hell thinks they should be in heaven. 
See, a Christian knows they don't deserve it. That's why it was a gift. You don't work and earn it and become some elite person that gets to know God. And you can't be so horrible that you can never come to have a relationship with God. No, God evened out the playing field by saying the only way in is a gift. A present given freely because I don't need to, but because I want to. And yeah, we need it. How badly do we need it? I think how badly we need it shows up in the second person who says, you know what, this is dangerous. This stuff has been used. This, this idea of Christianity, it hurts people. It draws these lines and these things. And, and, and so they, they have a response here that I understand, and, it, and it's hard. But before we move on to this person, I want to talk to the kiddos for a second. Because it reminded me. I almost left you guys out. What am I talking about? What's this need that you need? Do you need it? How many of you guys have ever had your brother take, how many got brothers and sisters? Real quick, throw your hands up. Got brother or sister, throw your hand up. All right, in your response to your brother or your sister, when you were little, I want you to think back. Here comes this little person. You've got this toy, and you're really hurting. And, you, and your friend, grab, your brother or sister, grabs that toy from you. What do you do? That's right, you sock them. That's exactly what you do. Uh, somebody honest here, you are, you are a, this is church. That was an honest answer. Thank you. Yeah, you sock them. For some reason, when we're kids, this is what we do. My kids go, you took that from me. And they're just like ready to take out like WWE on them or something. And you're just like, what? what's with that? Why do we do that? Why do you want to hurt somebody when they've hurt you? Huh? Man, we, what, ha- what's coming next? Does anybody know when that happens? Because what happens is you steal that, pull it off, and they go, punch. And what comes out of your, your brother or sister's mouth? Ah! That, that comes out of your mouth, right? What do you hear around the house? And then you hear the, what's going on in there? You know what that's called? Adults like to call that judgment day. That's when you're going to meet your parents and there's going to be this sit down where they find out what went wrong and then what happens? You lose privileges. Now here's the thing. For you guys, you get this. There's a judgment day coming. God is coming and you can hear the footsteps because he's not going to let any of this punching and stuff that we've done to each other go away. We need something to be done or he's going to show up and he's going to sit down and he's going to talk us through everything we've done wrong. And with God, it doesn't work real good. There's always punishment. And the timeout is really, really long. What do you do? Adults, what do you do? I learned from my mistake, mom and dad. I'm good. Yo, yeah, that works. Does it? Thank you. We love to think it works. It doesn't work. We need a way out. We're in major need. And so we may think it's dangerous, but I want, to hear, I want you to hear it's, it, it is dangerous, but in a different way. Dearest fearful, I have seen the pain you speak of. I see all the people sick in their beds, the people thirsty and running from the gorillas and the powerful. I see the deviousness of the minds of every man and all the suffering they have brought upon each other. Oh, I know it too well. 
Each time one human harms another, do you think I don't see it or that I don't care? I I created them, each with a name, each with a destiny, each with a purpose. Yet I've also given each of you a freedom. The freedom to choose to care and love and to live for others. Yet it doesn't matter, for I am certain every man becomes a victim and a victimizer. For every victim who cries out of their suffering and help, I find that same victim turning their own anger and desire on another, thus making another victim. Yes, many of you have used, many have used my gift of Jesus and his message to harm with their fear, their hatred, and their pride. Men have used everything in this way. Does my gift hurt? Can it harm? Yes, when people use it to harm, and there is not one man who has not made another a victim, no matter who they are. But this is the exact reason I came. I came to suffer for those harms done. I came to end the sinning you will commit against each other. Does my message then harm? Yes, it harms as a scalpel harms. It harms as a parent harms to lead a child back from a path of destruction. But the one it has harmed fully is not any man on earth but my son. For my son suffered on the cross once for the harms men have done to each other. He, the one who is right with me and others, he who is standing in the gap for those who are against me, he did this that he might bring them all to me. See, my son was harmed on the cross, not just because he was punished there by nails and wood. No, I sent my son into the world on Christmas to live rightly and then become the sin of the world. On that cross, he became your sin. He took it in his body and he gave, and he who knew no sin became it wise so that you might be right with me and others and that your victimhood be put away and to grow in love and cease to be a victimizer. But also, he came because he alone knew the cost. You, you see the cost. You hate the cost because you see it in the starving children. You see it in the thirsty and the abused The cost is death. Death stalks and finds its way on everyone, for everyone has victimized, everyone has sinned, but knowing the payment of that death, of that sin is death, I sent Jesus to be a gift. That in Jesus' work, you might be given eternal life, the kind of life I live and the death cannot claim and keep. For by rejecting this because you think it's dangerous, you don't see how dangerous it really is. For the danger is not in receiving the gift, but in ignoring it. What good is it that you gain everything now, but in the end lose your soul? See, I took the danger on myself, and now you can receive it. For it will, be, it will give you the safety beyond death and a life aimed at love of me and others. Signed, the Father. The idea here, again, is that, yes, there's a danger, but when are we going to stop and see that we're the danger? Whether you're in the church or out of the church, we're still the danger. The reason the gospel is misused and harms people is because we're a problem. You took my toy, I punch you. Problem. I respond not with roses and sunshine, I get vindication upon those who are my enemies. And yet Jesus came. Jesus came as a gift. And as that gift, he came as one who bore our dangers. You see, there's nobody in this world that isn't a danger. 
It says that all have sinned. All are a danger. They all fall short of the glory of God. We all cause victimization to each other. Think about it. God says, don't do that. We disobey him. We have broken his rule. And now he is upset with us. We've harmed one another. We have harmed him. We victimize and we're victims. I love that people love to say, I'm a good person. But man, this world is messed up. So how did everybody else become annoying, as they pointed out in psychology? Most people really believe that everybody around them is annoying, but they're not. They're a good person. We're great. What about our self-examination that maybe we do have a great need and maybe we are truly a danger to ourselves and to one another? And that the victimization that we have created in each other is actually what the Bible is calling sin. The harm of one another, the harm against God that we do, and that that sin is, is going to become laid upon us as God comes closer to that day. And yet, God said, I don't want to deal with that. I want to give you a freedom. I want to tell you something. I'm going to let you out by bearing the danger on myself. And on a cross, he suffered greatly. He was murdered by us, the very dangers of humanity attacking him. It's no wonder that it says that for our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin so that in Jesus we might become the righteousness of God. Someone had to become our sin. You can't clean up your past. You can't erase it. You don't get, just because it's expunged doesn't mean it's been forgotten by the victim. And that there needs to be restitution. Something has to be done, but there's no court that's going to see that. No court can give perfect justice except the one who sees it all. And in that day when we stand before that one who sees it all and knows it all and asks us those very poignant questions that we can't answer because you're silent before the judge, he'll simply say, what did you do with my gift then? Because I gave you the way out. My son was willing to be your sin to get rid of it for you. I don't think it's we can say I don't need it. I don't think we can say, oh, it's so dangerous. No, it's dangerous to ignore I want you to contemplate that thought for a little bit because the honest truth is that the wages of sin, what we get paid for this evil is death. But God gives a life, an eternal life. You see, you can't change what's inside of yourself. You You can do everything you want, but the motivation is still on you. There must be a change of heart, a transformation, a different person put in you, and that has to come from outside. And some of you have longed for that. You've said to yourself, I can't get rid of this habit. I can't beat this. I keep harming myself. I can't stop picking on my friends. I can't stop sneaking my Christmas presents. I can't stop that language. I can't stop these things. I don't know what's wrong. You need a new you. And eternal life is the picture of a transformed self that begins to grow into what God has called us to truly be. But that's not easy, and that's where it leads us to that last person, that struggler, that person who's sitting there going, you know what, I've tried this before, it's hard, and maybe you're here because parents have brought you, but sometimes you're, you're telling yourself, this is ridiculous, I've been there, I've done that. G.K. Chesterton was a man of, of prob- pretty high intellect, and he, and he said this many years ago. He said, it's not that Christianity has been tried and found wanted. It's that Christianity has been seen difficult and never tried. And the truth of the matter is that it is a tough thing to follow Christ. It is not the easy path of the broad, wide road, as Jesus described it, but a narrow, difficult one. And yet, we're not alone in that journey. I want you to hear how I believe he would respond in some way, in some manner. It says, dearest struggler, you remind me so much 
of that most blessed of women, Mary. I did not give her a gift that was easy, but one that was vital. She had to carry me along with the shame, along with the ridicule and the fear. She had to face her fiancé, her father, her mother, and family. She had to defend her honor before her village and before centuries of people who mock and scoff at her claim of a virgin conception. But think of her journey beyond, the weight that she carried and as she watched me grow, as she saw me begin to understand and do things she couldn't, the pride that fought within her, the fear as she saw me misunderstood. She, like any mother, felt happy when I succeeded and yet utterly destroyed as she watched them drive the nails into my hands. Her heart of love reflects my own. I'm her child. And as heavy as her journey was, she would tell you mine was was much worse. Imagine with me. I had all the power. I could restate whatever it wanted, whatever I, I could create, whatever I wanted, made the angels to wait upon me. I created men to share my glory with and knew the rebellion before they did it. I have guided creatures to ends they didn't see themselves. And when the time was right, I decided it, was, it all wasn't worth holding on to. You have a saying. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. I wanted to be the exception. And so I put aside my absolute power my absolute prerogative as God, and I chose to become a human. Have you ever been constrained? Had to hold yourself back when you, could, when you knew you could handle something? That was me when I was a baby. I could have given myself all I needed, all, I can, all that I needed. I constrained myself by being kept alive by humanity, by a human. And you may think that's frustrating, but I thought it was necessary. I constrain myself for you, to identify with you, to love you and to free you from sin. So I didn't let power control me or honor control me or glory control me, but instead I became a servant of those who reject me for I came to serve and not be served. I served to heal, I served to teach, I served to love, I served to feed, I came to give myself away as a gift, as a ransom for many. And so I restrained myself again. Though I could have called on my angels to free me, I didn't. Instead, I bore the punches, the spitting, the whipping, the mocking, the scourging, the piercing pain, the agonizing, cramping, and dishonor as I hung naked on the cross. But I constrained myself because I came to die for you. This is why I laid all the power down at Christmas. I came to be a gift to set you free and to identify with you. Yes, this gift was heavy. It was heavy on me. But I give this gift, and it isn't heavy, for I will carry it with you. And I promise if you will come to me, and not to some rules, come to me and let me change you, and lead you, remake you to who I intend you to be, then you will see the strength that I have for you. I face the pains of this world. I get it. I'll support you and help you. And after death, I will heal you and resurrect you, and you will find glory and peace, for I wish to share it with you. Will you let me? I promise whatever you bear, as worth it as it was for me, I will make it for you. Signed, Jesus. See, here the thing is, God has not left you alone. Maybe you had once followed Christ and you thought this was going to be it and it started to restrict your life. You had to start letting go of things. You wanted to have, you know, that relationship and it'd be spicy. You wanted to enter into that career and ignore the rules because, man, it would be so much easier. You didn't want to have to give up that language. You didn't, there's all of these restrictions that you were feeling from having to follow Christ. I get it. I have friends who have given up 
and been celibate their entire life. And it's not easy, but they do it for Christ. And man, that's not a simple journey. It's painful. It's heavy. And yet he says, I walked that journey. I have been with you. I want to connect with you. I want you to see that. That's why it says in, in the book of Philippians, in this letter that Paul wrote, he describes, he says, listen, have this mindset amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ, who, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be held on to. But he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. See, Jesus describes what makes us able to walk in this journey, this difficult thing. And kiddos, little guys, I think you get it. How many of you have to, are taking an instrument, playing piano or doing something like that? All right. How, when you started, were you good? One guy's like, oh yeah, I was good. <laughs> Most of us, were we good? No. No, we stank. Everyone at the beginning stinks compared to the masters. Do you remember sitting there playing that piano? Adults, you can be included in this conversation if you've ever done this before. Playing that instrument, playing the piano, starting that sport, and the ball's bouncing off your foot. You're playing stuff. It's just so frustrating. You hate it. I don't want to do this anymore. Anybody ever said that? Hate this. I quit. I quit. You just started. I'm not good at this. You just started. I'm not any good at this. How do you know? You haven't tried. I don't want to try. Ever been there? You feel the same thing when you follow Jesus. You start walking with Jesus and he starts calling you to love your enemy, to forgive someone who's harmed you. He calls you to give yourself away and not to be self-centered. And you go, I don't want to do this anymore. This is hard. Now we'll stay calling ourselves Christians, but it's difficult. Here's the difference. Do you remember what happened next after you sat there and said, I don't want to do this anymore. Many times your parents sidled up next to you, sat down and said, hey, I know this is hard, but let's do it again. I'll be right here with you. Work it through until you get it right. You know what's awesome is that God, through his spirit, comes into us, lives with us. And when we're sitting there going, I can't do this, he goes, I know you can't. Let me work through you and do it with you. I'm right here with you. I want to walk with you. I want to strengthen you. I want to enable you because I have a goal for you. You can't forgive. I'll help you forgive. Just try this little bit first. Try this note. Try this one. Try that one. And God works with us and he walks with us because he gets it. He's seen the inconvenience and the difficulty of life. He felt it himself. And it's not so much that we don't need this gift. And it's not so much that this gift is dangerous. And it's not so much that it's so hard we can't, we can't do it. It's that we absolutely need it and he didn't need to give it to us. And we were a danger to ourselves. And so he took that danger, that danger and felt it and was broken by it. And then now rose from the dead to live in us. So that we could become the kind of people who do not create victims any longer. But live in love of neighbor. You'll never find anything higher than the call of Jesus to love your enemy. Because if you can love your enemy, we can be like God who loved us, though we were his enemies. And you're here today because God wants you to hear that he has a gift for you. He has a gift of forgiveness of our sins. He has a gift of transformation of your life. And it's yours. It's offered to you as a gift. No elites allowed. No one so unworthy that they cannot have it. 
See, God so loved you, the world. He so loved us that he gave his only son that whoever would believe in him, you don't face that doom, that perish, but you can have that new eternal life. What I want to do is offer you guys an opportunity to ponder this, to think about it. It's important that you don't leave the greatest gift that God may be offering that God is offering you right now. And you just don't dismiss it with, well, I don't need that. Oh, that's too dangerous. Oh, no, there's, there's, there's something you need to ponder. There's something you need to question. Why in the world is this so large and so weighty that we would celebrate it annually across the world? It's something to ponder that God has given a gift that maybe has indeed changed so many hearts. It's something you can't just deny and push off the shelf. I want you to ponder it today and take this moment I'm going to give you in a minute a chance to actually receive that gift if you would like and allow it to come into your heart, into your life. And so as we do that, before we get there, I'd ask that you just bow your heads with me. You just close your eyes and, and take a minute. If you're, if you're a Christian, pray for those around us that, that are being offered this gift today. And God, I ask that you would, you would be here present, that you would show yourself to those who today are, are resistant to this because they, they, for one reason or another, and God, I know there are so many other responses they can have to your gift, but I pray that you would work through those and you would enable them to sense and know that you are offering them today this gift of the forgiveness of sins. And Father, I pray that right now as you are offering that, as you're working through the objections and, and speaking to their hearts, God, that they would be ready and listening. And those of you who are ready today to receive that, as God is calling you right now, just take this minute. And just let God know. Say, God, I'm receiving that gift of Jesus. God, I'm trusting that you are going to forgive me and I'm going to get through the judgment day because of this gift. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on that cross, for going through so much for me. Would you give me a new life? Would you lead me from here? Right now, just everybody's eyes are closed, their heads are bowed, and you may be responding to God right where you're at. And I would ask that right now that maybe you would just let me know that you've made that decision to receive that gift, whether you're seven or 77, anywhere in the between. And the way you would do that, just putting your hand up, you're saying, that's me today. And I've received that today. And I just want to pray over you. I want to bless you. And I want to give that opportunity of God to just touch you and empower you. So that's you. Just let me know. Father, I just lift up those who have their hands raised today. I just ask that you would bless them. Those who have made that determination, that decision, that choice to ask you to enter their lives and to forgive them of their sins. God, would you empower them and enable them now to make it public and begin to walk with you in a way that is centered upon what you have done and the gift that you've given. God, some of them have come back. It's been a long journey for them, but they're here to walk again with you. Would you give them strength and, and lift them up in that journey? And thank you that it's by grace that you've done this, by a gift. Let them know how sweet that is, that you don't return your presence. 
and that you've given it and it's theirs for good. We just ask that you would just bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, there's a final piece, and that is uh, we really ask that you would make it public in some manner. When you come to Christ, he has done a public work. He died on a cross in a public setting. He suffered in shame publicly. And so we invite you to let it be known publicly in, in a couple ways. First of all, our prayer team is up, will be up here and around the room, and they're available to just be prayed with. If you're in, at any place in your life, you don't even have to have received Christ today, but if you need prayer, they're here, they're available. But the second one is that um, if you did make that decision, I would ask that you grab one of those blue cards in the seat, bring it forward to one of our prayer team members. They would like to pray with you, connect with you where you need to go and, and what the next, the next step is. And so bring that blue card up to them, talk to them. They would love to pray with you. And, and that's, that's the way that you make that public today. And then we want to just uh, go with you from there. Otherwise, we're going to stand, we're going to sing this song. But before we do that, I have one more thing. Some of you, you heard all this today. And honestly, you're like, eh, whatever. I made it. I got through the sermon. Great. I want to challenge you with something. If you have questions, if you have doubts, if you're a skeptic, I would ask you to have some skepticism about your skepticism. Ask some new questions about your doubts. Ask why you don't doubt your doubts. We're all in the pursuit of truth. We want to invite you into a conversation to pursue that truth. It's called starting point. It's a conversational area where you can bring up your discussions, your frustrations, and maybe some of your, your critical points that you, you need to have answered. And we would love for, to bring that conversation in. Um, and if that's for you, let us know using the orange card and just say, hey, I would love, okay, fine. I'm going to take you up on the challenge. I will explore this thing a little deeper. And I'll actually start to ask some questions and explore whether this is true. And fill that out. Let us know. We'll get you plugged into that conversation group and you can begin that journey. Some of you, you're like, I don't even want that. Well, I want to challenge you on another thing. Maybe you have never read the Bible, but you've read a lot about the Bible on the internet. You know a lot about Jesus from the internet, but you've never met Jesus in the Word. I want to challenge you. Maybe it's time to follow him. And I don't mean that by becoming like a Christ follower where you trust he died for your sins, but maybe that is just you begin to walk after him. Kind of like the crowds used to. Read what he said in the Bible. Discover what he was doing. Come to church and let's have some conversations. Come talk to me. I love questions. I had to have a lot of questions answered for me over the years. I don't come to this without my doubts, without my skepticisms or my struggles. And I would never tell you just to have faith. I believe there are answers. I don't want to encourage you to seek those answers out. I want to encourage you to find that this church is a place that we can do that together. Don't ever leave a church service thinking that, up oh, those people don't think. No, we want to help you think. And we want to engage in that conversation. And so if that's you today, don't leave here without engaging in one of those ways. Because maybe you're not ready to receive Jesus Christ, but you've got those questions. We would love to help you work through them so that maybe indeed you can receive that gift and feel confident about it when you do so. We love you guys. Thank you for being here. Merry Christmas. And we're going to stand and we're going to sing this song about God's love. And yes, it has some lines in it that resonate with Christmas. And so would you just stand up? We're going to sing this out together as we close.